Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and I just had a real conversation with Mr. Bradley Belt on a really interesting, albeit complex topic that you may all care about, which is retirement. We talked a lot about Social Security, unfunded pension liabilities, all that fun stuff. But Mr. Belt is currently the vice chairman of Orchard Global Capital Group. He also served under George W. Bush in the Bush administration as, as the CEO of the PBGC which is, of course, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. They oversaw about $60 billion in terms of a portfolio. He served on the Social Security Advisory Board, et cetera, et cetera. A lot to talk to Mr. Belt about, a lot of topics uh, in transition with Trump in particular. I hope you enjoy it. Maybe we'll start top down, and then maybe we can get into some, um, some smaller case studies. But top down, when, the, when you're told that the truth is 80% of pensions are funded, like, how, how truthful is that statement? Uh, you really have no idea at face value what that means. You would have to know all the assumptions, and there are a number of assumptions that underpin that. I would argue my own view is that when a corporate sponsor announces that they are 80% funded, that that's closer to being somewhere around the real economic cost of that future obligation than would be the case in a public public sector plan setting, at least for a U.S. public sector plan, whether it's a state pension plan or a county or municipal pension plan. Uh, Because heretofore, and the rules are changing a little bit in this regard, uh, pension plans in the public sector in the U.S. somewhat uniquely have valued that future obligation. They've discounted that future cash flow stream they're obligated for at their assumed rate of return. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where the storytelling comes in. <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, and you know, unfortunately, um, you know, both sides—they're both proponents of the defined benefits system as we know it today. Mm-hmm. There are critics of the defined benefit system as we know today. Unfortunately, both sides tend to use, you know, uh, 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 lies, damn lies, and statistics, you know, to their benefit to make a policy case. Um, and that's unfortunate. It's difficult. It is, unfortunately, difficult to have a reasonable conversation. Uh, about uh, these issues. I, I can remember I spent about 18 months um, sitting on uh, uh, the uh, Blue Ribbon panel on public sector pension plan fi- uh, funding, uh, about 18 different people you know, coming from different uh, uh, aspects of the provision, different background and perspectives. Yep. And uh, I thought very thoughtful, and for the most part, we could have a very good internal conversation mm-hmm. off the record. But the minute we would come out with anything publicly, the slings and arrows would be coming from every direction. Well, I mean, you really can't start with a rate of return that is off that or on that third rail. I mean, effectively, 8% is that kind of the level that people like? Uh, well, it, that's historically been the case. It's, it's finally been coming down. Now, it's as a result of the Pension Protection Act that was passed back in 2006, um, you know, the number has gotten, I would say, more realistic. It's essentially a high-quality corporate bond rate that's mm-hmm. used for the corporate mm-hmm. sector, private pension plans. Um, uh, U.S. public sector pension plans are not subject to those mm-hmm. same types of requirements, so they've still largely used their um, uh, their assumed rate of return. Mm-hmm. That has started to trend downwards yep. in, in most jurisdictions. You know, the question is, 
whether it is still too high, and mm-hmm. in many cases, much too high. Well, isn't that interesting? I mean, now you're at Orchard Global Capital Management, and you have, you know, like any asset manager, or any of our clients for that matter, I mean, people have their assumed long-term growth rates. Mm-hmm. They have their assumed long-term rate of returns. They're so much lower. And I think, like, you share that view. Can you can you talk about that going from one place to another? Now, now that you're, you know, in the private sector running that money, how you think about that? Uh, well, that's... You know, I, that's kind of where at the intersection of the public and private sector perspectives, you get concerned because no question, my view as an investor is we're looking for a number of reasons at likely a lower term, uh, a lower return environment over the medium to long term. Okay. And that's for structural reasons, trend line and with regard to productivity growth, uh, much slower labor force growth. Uh, much slower population growth. In fact, in the United States this last year, uh, population grew by seven-tenths of percent, which I think was the lowest since the 1930s. Um, And and you've seen the trend line in in productivity growth. Uh, We have a very low labor force participation rate right now from a historical standpoint. And actually, the news is pretty good in the United States (laughs) relative to other advanced economies. So if you're not getting labor force, uh, labor force growth and actually shrinking in some economies, whether it's Japan, potentially China, um, uh, uh, Italy, uh, and places like that, and you're not getting this, uh, uh, this you know, sp- uh, spike in uh, productivity growth like you saw in the 1990s, uh, and the question is, where is economic growth gonna co- going to come from? Well, it's going to come from Trump. <laughs> That's the um, actually on the road in California, and I and I kid you not. Uh, one major investor said it's because Trump is the internet. <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't just invent it; he is the internet. Huh? Okay. But I, I th- he, this is a very well uh, uh, educated investor going back across cycles, and he was talking about the 1990s, in particular what happened in the late 90s from a productivity growth perspective. And he was jokingly saying, "Well, we don't need the internet this time; we just have Trump." Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a big question that people have to struggle with here, or maybe not. Some people have faded it uh, from a market expectations perspective. But in very short order, two to three months, we've had a change. Uh, you could argue the change in inflation expectations was already happening, mm-hmm. but a, a fairly significant change in growth expectations. How short-term do you think somebody – it could be a raccoon that's president for all I care. I mean, can anybody change – the long-term demographics, the long-term realities that you're, you're, you're concerned about? Well, well that's – you hit on the key issue. Uh, demographics, no. They're with us for a generation. It's time and space. They're essentially immutable. Um, you know, yes, all of a sudden we could start having more babies, um, <laughs> uh, I, but that would manifest itself in the labor force for another 20 years plus. Um, we could open the doors to more immigration. Yeah. But we don't seem to be going in that direction. That seems right unlikely. Now. Yes, that seems <laughs> unlikely right now. It's just, uh, I don't know why, something I read about in the paper, I think, uh, suggested it might be going in the other direction. Um, productivity, maybe, maybe, you know, new animal spirits are unleashed. Yeah. Uh, there will be massive new investment in, in plant and equipment, in human capital, in education, uh, in infrastructure. Um, and that could have some near-term growth benefits. Um, the, you're, you're butting up against some realities uh, in, in that regard, uh, you know, not the least of which you know, the, the, the president has said, I want to have a 
trillion dollar uh, in new infrastructure investment. The question is, how do you pay for it? Pay for that if you do pay for that, since he also wants to have fairly sweeping tax cuts. Um, and the challenge is, okay, do we simply uh, 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 increase the deficit substantially, uh, which on current trend lines I think is projected to increase the number uh, $7 trillion on current baseline mm-hmm. over the next decade, let alone what, uh, what the president may do. Um, you've got to deal with Congress at the end of the day mm-hmm. because the president can issue executive orders to a fare thee well. Yep. Uh, but to spend money, um, he has to get Congress to go along with that. There continue to be a lot of deficit hawks mm-hmm. on, on Capitol Hill, many of whom are loath to even increase the debt ceiling, uh, let alone pass tax cuts or new spending initiatives uh, unless they are paid for. And so I think, you know, where the rubber hits the road, uh, we, we haven't seen that play out yet. You also have the midterm elections running in the face of that. I mean, you have to... A- Uh, Well, maybe not a likely raise the debt ceiling, but you may have to raise the debt ceiling, and you most definitely have to have some kind of a spending plan. Um, Does that play into this in terms of the timing? If he can't get it done quick, which is through executive order, doesn't time hurt a little bit? Well, yeah. We'll have to see. When the Republicans just had their uh, caucus meetings in Philadelphia last week, um, and you had uh, uh, the uh, Speaker, Paul Ryan, and and Majority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell uh, saying that they were essentially on the same page Mm -hmm. with the President and the administration on some of these big-picture initiatives, repeal and replace Obamacare, uh, broadly speaking on immigration, on the need for tax reform, right. including uh, 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 tax cuts and lowering uh, marginal rates, as well as on regulatory reform. But the devil is in the details. And at the end of the day, you know, ultimately, you need people to implement policy. And, and we've seen you know, that this administration and this Congress are very slow off the mark mm-hmm. to actually put in place the people. Mm-hmm. that will implement the policy. Uh, you, we only have a handful of uh, confirmed cabinet members right now. Uh, this, a number apparently haven't been fully vetted yet. A number of confirmations remain to be uh, held. But beyond the, the high-level cabinet-level officials, um, you know, the administration is responsible. Now, the, this administration may come back on that number, 4,000. Uh, uh, administration appointment positions in the federal government, uh, a thousand plus of which are confirmable mm-hmm. positions by the Senate. We're nowhere near, you know, the sub-cabinet confirmable no, positions as well as regulatory agencies and things like that. So there's a lot of work that has to be done uh, before you can get too far down the path on both the legislating and then implementing the yep. legislation through regulation. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, the further out in time, particularly on the topics that you're so well-versed in, I mean, you think of underfunded pension liabilities, Social Security. Mm-hmm. I mean, these time's not your friend if you're not staffed and prepared. Like, if you take Social Security, for example. I mean, you sat on the Social Security Advisory Board. That's correct. Um, how would you look at that situation under any administration right now? Like, the time is, is, is ticking. Uh, well, it has been ticking, and the clock continues to tick, <laughs> and it gets like the the nuclear clock, uh, the atomic clock, closer to midnight. Uh, you know, the the, the long term deficit 
in Social Security, I think, is now projected as trustees report about eleven trillion dollars. Um, eleven trillion. Eleven trillion dollars, and the um, the. Um, the Social Security Trust Fund. Now, whether there's any real trust in that trust fund, whether there's any funds in the fund is a, is a separate conversation, but it is uh, projected to essentially run dry in a num- less than a, a couple of decades. And the question then is what happens then? You're still collecting payroll taxes. The problem is the payroll taxes under current law would only support about 75% of current benefit levels. Uh, and so do people simply get a major cutback in the Social Security benefits at that time? Or do we think about putting in place measures now to preclude that from happening? Social Security, to your point, Keith, Social Security is actually pretty easy to solve from a math standpoint. Mm-hmm. There's a, you know, a few levers you can adjust that actually most reasonable, rational thinking people, if you sit them down in a room, would say, yeah, that makes sense. That's a decent trade-off. That's a good quid pro quo. And you can actually solve for the fiscal or financial deficit over the long term. It's the issue of the political willingness Mm -hmm. to actually make those changes. You alluded earlier on to kind of the third rail in Social Security has been in that uh, that in part. And that runs uh, head on into the issue related to time uh, uh, frame. Now, if a president were not concerned about a second term and willing to really take on this issue and use the bully pulpit to try to push through Social Security reform, perhaps they could push through a recalcitrant Congress, members of Congress, who, you know, particularly on the House side, up every two years from having to take what they might perceive as difficult votes on Social Security. You know, the, the classic one is, you know, raising, further raising the retirement age, phasing that in over a long period of time, and perhaps indexing that for gains in longevity. Seems like a no-brainer in some respects. Yes, it does have some <laughs> negative implications for, you know, those who work in, you know, coal mines or, you know, h- uh, harder labor industries, and it has implications of the disability program. But the bottom line, it would seem to make sense. We did it before. Mm-hmm. Why not do that again? I was the director of something called the National Commission on Retirement Policy back in the mid-1990s. It was known as the Bro-Gray Commission. Senators uh, uh, John Bro and Judd Gregg were two of the six co-chairs. It was kind of a disservice to the other four co-chairs, and two were House members. Uh, but uh, that's kind of how it was known. That commission put out a very well-regarded Bipartisan, 24-member commission, unanimously accepted, uh, 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 unanimously agreed to set of recommendations. One of which was increasing and phasing in the retirement age over a long period of time and indexing it for inflation. When the commission's report was released back in 1998, front page uh, above the fold in the New York Times was introduced as bipartisan legislation. Who came out guns blasting against that recommendation was the AARP. Yeah, of course. Saying, you know, we do not accept any changes to the Social Security program, any benefit cuts. And they perceive that as a benefit cut. In some respects, it is relative to the status quo. 
question is, if you simply stick your head in the stand, the problem isn't going to go away. Mm-hmm. And that, that characterizes a lot of these challenges we're facing, and uh, particularly with regard to broader issues related to retirement security, but some of these budget tax policy issues as well. I mean, Trump hasn't touched this, has he? Or did I miss it? I mean, he's been pretty busy, so I don't know. Well, no, he hasn't. In fact, uh, the to the contrary, in the, during the campaign, he said he wasn't going to touch Medicare, Social Security. Right. I won't touch the military. I will not touch, you know, he, he puts a job freeze but it's not the military, and he's got cuts, but it's not Social Security, it's not... Not Medicare. Okay. So, you know, those are, have huge long-term deficits. We already are projected to have, you know, 75 to 85% of federal revenues going to uh, uh, mandatory programs, yep. uh, which include things like Social Security and Medicare. Non-discretionary. Uh, uh, non-discretionary, uh, interest on the debt, and, defense. Uh, uh, well, defense is mostly discretionary. But to him, it's that's not. right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so that's that's the issue. You know, the, the, the numbers don't add. The the problem is we are, you know, the, the issue we're facing. I don't want to characterize it as a problem. The issue we're facing is, you know, historically tax revenues have been about eighteen to nineteen percent of GDP. Expenditures have been creeping up to be 21, 22, 23, 20% uh, of GDP, and those trend lines continue to diverge. Um, you know, there was an opportunity, a historic opportunity, to have a grand bargain to try to deal with that issue uh, between uh, President Obama and then Speaker John Boehner. Um, and unfortunately, they couldn't reach a meeting of the minds, and mm-hmm. that deal fell apart. We might be having a different conversation today. Uh, there might not be a President Trump today uh, if, that had, uh, if that had happened, but it didn't. Uh, and I think it was a failure of, of, of political will on, on both sides, unfortunately. Um, but it means that we are where we are today. There really are no easy answers, uh, and that's part of the challenge. Just seeing the divide on the truth-telling, in particular when it gets down to some of these numbers that you educated us on, whether they be unfunded liabilities or Social Security, uh, we'll be looking forward to talking to you again often, you know, if we can. And uh, just wanted to thank you for your time. My pleasure, Keith. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Hedgeye's Real Conversations. If you enjoyed this interview, we encourage you to subscribe to Hedgeye Podcasts for automatic downloads of future interviews with top market and economic thought leaders. You can also visit Hedgeye.com for additional content. There you can learn more about our financial research firm's comprehensive market research products and complimentary videos and analysis. The proceeding has been presented for informational purposes only, and none of the information contained herein constitutes a solicitation, offer, opinion, or recommendation by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guest speakers to buy or sell any security or to provide legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice regarding the profitability or suitability of any security or investment. Opinions and analysis are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can and may go up or down based on any number of factors. Consult your financial professional before investing.